0: Okay, welcome again to the One Together podcast. This is the podcast reminding you that one is in fact not the loneliest number and our whole ideal is to bring people together. And usually each week we talk to somebody who's been through something, whether it's positive or negative, and how they came out the other side in the hopes of reminding you that you are not alone in what you're going through. We all have something. We all have that really hard challenge. But also, I kind of have this really headstrong ideal of changing the media industry so that we're not just talking about gossip and bullshit that doesn't matter. Pardon my French. So today's episode, we were meant to be joined by Alex Favola and I have been working for the last week in trying to get that episode to you. And unfortunately, I don't have that episode for you today. And the reason being, is because I have been grieving and I promised myself and you that I would always be very honest with you about what I'm going through as well, because otherwise, how can I, you know, request that you be really honest and open about where you're at if I'm not doing the exact same thing. So in saying that, Today's episode is about the man who changed my life as a kid and about the grief that I've been going through in the hopes that if you yourself are grieving right now, you will still have those me too, movement, uh, sorry, me too moments. Sorry, I'm really struggling to talk about this. Um, you will still have that moment this week where you know that you're not alone in whatever you're going through and also you can see that I practice what I preach. And I promised you that I would be this person and that's exactly who I'm going to give you. So today's episode, just please be advised that the topic of depression may come up, um, health issues, uh, potentially the topic of suicide may come into it, um, as well as uh, childhood abuse. And obviously, as always, um, always reach out for help if you need it. You can get Lifeline on 13, 11, 14. So the person who passed away, um, he was a really incredible man, actually. Uh, when I was a kid, and if you've been through um, the Housing Commission circumstances that I have as a kid and just in and out of houses, you know, we moved over 16 times before I was 12, you would know how hard it is to find those adults that not only can you relate to but that care about you genuinely um, and that you don't have to be afraid of. And this man was definitely that person in my life growing up. But unfortunately, my mother was so unwell that she convinced Asked that he was a really bad person and he wasn't very similar to what she did to our father actually anyway years later uh, he came back into my life when he found out I'd written a play and that it had been accepted to be shown in the States and I put up a GoFundMe page requesting people to put money towards it you may have seen it. it was called just a girl and he messaged me and asked if it would be appropriate for him to put money towards it so that i could get the actors over there And i sat back for a minute and i was terrified because you know i'd been told all these horrible stories about him anyway i decided to call him because you know all the stories i'd been told about my birth father were wrong so maybe all the stories about him were wrong too so we had this really long chat and it turned out you know most of the stuff that i'd been told was incorrect and a lot, of it, a lot of extra information was given to me about my mother as well, which just made a lot of sense. And we had this really painful, long-hearted five-hour conversation. And I was so afraid of him, I was so afraid of who he was that I made um, four different friends of mine meet him for coffee because I was scared that maybe I didn't have a very good read on people because when you've grown up with that kind of child abuse and the kind of stuff I went through as a kid you sort of it's really hard to trust people and it's really hard to trust that what you're shown is the truth you know you always need another person there so that you kind of have someone to turn to and go hey am I crazy or is that Okay, anyway, five people later, four people later, whatever it was, um, uh, every single person came back to me being like, no, he's a really lovely guy. He's really lovely. Um, Anyway, he ended up putting so much money towards that play that not only did it get shown in the States, but I was able to get like accommodation, like really nice accommodation for the two actors and all this extra stuff while I was over there and stay for a bit longer and um, and then when I came home I took the job up in Queensland on the radio show and that's where he was living and we went out almost every weekend or once a month and that's when he started to tell me that he'd cut his entire family out of his life and he was just completely isolated he wasn't going out he used to go out and listen to music all the time and he wasn't going out listening to music anymore and he was just always acting really strange, and um, one day when we were sitting down for coffee after I hadn't seen him for about a month, I, I just asked him if he was okay because he seemed a bit pale, and I knew he had diabetes, but um, he admitted that he was suffering from really bad depression, and he'd been considering um, he'd been considering taking his own life. And, If you've been in that situation when someone tells you that. You just don't know what to say back. Because you know that if you say, I love you and I hope you don't do that, it can put pressure on them. And you know if you say anything that highlights the possibility of it being a good idea, then then you're afraid that you've given them permission to do it and then you know you can't just force them to get help because then they might shut you out and then there's the whole shame that the other person has around telling you in the first place and the guilt that they feel for putting it on you and oh man it's just a whole level of shit that you go through um anyway So after he said that to me, my response, which turned out to actually be a really uh, good response, was, and we were sitting at Biscuit Cafe up on the Gold Coast when this happened, um, and I just looked him in the face and I just said, Alan, you don't get to come back into my life after 15 years and then leave again. You don't get to do that because I've had too many people do that to me, especially people in a parenting role. And you don't get to be one of them. So if you're here, you're here for good. And he sat there for a minute and he contemplated it and he looked at me and he goes, all right, H, you're absolutely right. So we made a pact together that day that he had to come and see me at least once a month, Um, that he had to start working towards getting himself better. He had to start seeing a therapist again. Um, He had to start making contact with his friends again. And he started to make small, small improvements, and it was amazing. Like He started to reach out to some of his friends again. He'd maybe talk to them once every month or so, every two months, sometimes six months, but at least he was doing it. He'd see me once a month, every month, without fail, um, even if it was just to come over to my place to have dinner. And then um, my birthday rolls around, and he asks me to come and have dinner with him in Injapili. And he sits me down and he goes, hey, Ch, I have something to give you and I'm giving it to you now because I haven't been very well this year. And I said, what, with your depression? And he said, no, 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 not with my depression. I, uh, I've been in hospital for the last two weeks. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what do you mean? Like, and he goes, I've been in hospital for two weeks because um, I've had some heart problems and I wasn't feeling well. And my response to him was, I'm so glad that you went to hospital and I'm so glad that you actually went and got help But for crying out loud, could you let me know where you are? Like, Just tell me, I'll come to the hospital. And he's like, I didn't want to be a bother and all that, which, you know, I'm sure you've got that person in your life that is sick and doesn't want you to fuss. Anyway, so we're sitting there eating this delicious Japanese meal um, and he's sitting there having so many sugary drinks, which I just wanted to slap out of his mouth. And um, he goes to me, I've been collecting something now. Alan was never diagnosed, but I have a very strong belief. And my therapist said to me that this was a possibility that Alan could have been an adult who was never diagnosed with uh, Asperger's or on the autism spectrum because he had this very strong sense of when you were around him, it was very socially awkward but he could not read emotions at all. Like he just could not read a situation. You know, he was always the guy that would walk into the room and say the wrong thing. And every person would just stop. You'd hear a fork drop and hit the ground, a shocked, you know, pearl clutch in the corner. And the whole room would just be dead silent until somebody else made a joke of it, or we moved on. Um, and that was a common occurrence for poor Alan. But, um, yeah, he, like even with me, he would say really silly, inappropriate things to me that would be offensive or unnecessary, and he'd just look at me shocked and then devastated because he'd realized he'd said the wrong thing and didn't even know he was doing it. Um, anyway, long story short, we're sitting down at um, the dinner table and uh, – sorry, at this Japanese restaurant, this dinner table, and um, he has his present for me, and, you know – Uh, If you've known anyone who is on the spectrum, uh, there's this thing where you can get very fixated on an idea. And Alan very much would do that. And he loved to collect things and very specific things, money and stamps. So he'd started a collection where all the serial barcodes on money, if it had a HM, a HD, a HH, a HA, or a HDP, which were all letters that had been in my name at some point, he would collect them and put them into this book. Well, if you haven't seen someone for over 15 years and you're collecting barcodes, sorry, so much snot right now, it's so gross. Um, If you collect that, you can imagine how much money there is. And he said to me, I would obviously love for you to keep collecting this. But he goes, I know that you're not going to do what I did. And I said to him, would you be okay if we bought a house? And he just looked at me and started to cry. And then I started to cry in the middle of this Japanese restaurant. And he said, H, if I could be the person who helped you own your own home for the first time in your life, nothing would make me happier. And I said to him, you realize you have given me the biggest gift that no one's been able to give me in my entire life. And that is knowing that I have somewhere I belong. So, a little while later, I'm organizing to buy a place and, um. I now have that and under the stairs there's this really lovely little space with a rocking chair and a little table and um, it's got like a decanter where you can like pour spirits and stuff and it's just this really cute little reading nook and I've called it Alan's Corner and I told him about it and he was so excited to know that he had this spot in my life forever this really (laughs) amazing spot Anyway, fast forward a year, and he's finally starting to get a little bit better, and he's trying to lose weight, and he's stopped drinking Pepsi, and he's taking his insulin, and he's doing all the right things, and I sent him this message while I'm in Sydney because I haven't seen him for a month, and I'm supposed to fly back in like four days to see him for our monthly catch-up, and I sent him this message on the Monday just saying how much I love him, and then... I hope to have kids soon and they'll know him as their uncle. And... and then four days later, I get a text message. Sorry, not a text message, a phone call from his niece. Saying that sadly he passed from a heart attack. I spent the whole week after hearing that just losing myself in work and trying to pretend like I was okay and forcing myself into something that I just wasn't able to do. And then last week, Friday, I just was walking down Crown Street after working really hard down here in Sydney. And it all just came out my face holes, like all the sadness just fucking burst out of my face holes. And it burst out of my face holes at people that I'd only known for about four or five days. <laughs> and they just looked at me like, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, nah, man, <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> and it just was one of those really awkward, you know, social interactions where it's like, you should not be crying like that. Are you drunk? <laughs> and as you know, I, I don't really drink that much. So it was a very sober, unfortunate cry. Oh my God, so much snot is on my face right now. It's disgusting. Um, anyway, so it wasn't until Saturday on the weekend just gone that I finally gave in to my hurt and accepted the fact that I'm not okay. I I miss my friend and he was more than a friend. He was my family and if you've had to create your family like I have, then... You know how painful it is when you lose someone that you've allowed to be that close to you because it's hard to let them be close to you in the first place. Um, So rather than hiding it all and trying to keep it all to myself, this is me letting you know that if you're grieving in any way or if you've lost someone you love or if you're going through something similar, you're not alone in it and it's okay to feel that hurt. And you know what? Time's not going to slow the fuck down for you so you can feel it. You have to get up every day. You have to go to work. You have to smile through the pain. You have to find that one thing that keeps you going, that pushes you through because no one else around you understands the hurt that you're feeling, that deep ache, f- fucking black hole that's sitting in your chest that you feel like you could just rip in and pull out because it's that intense. And if you're working with someone at the moment or you're friends with someone at the moment, or you're around someone currently who is grieving for the love of God, don't tell them to get over it. Or, you know, if it's been a month since they lost that person and they're still upset, no, that's normal. Sometimes it can take about two years for you to fully process losing someone. And I call it being in the fog. You know, you just got to be in the in this fucking shitty fog where you just feel sad and sick and Nothing makes you feel better. Not even bloody sex in the city. And that was my best friend for a while. Not even Harry Potter, damn it, Harry. Anyway, so the ways that I'm working on getting through it and you're welcome to take these on, they might work for you too, is I have decided to start painting and drawing. Um, One of my sisters on the GC who is a Jelligal people, she has been teaching me how to paint And so I've been focusing on my dot art, which has been really, really therapeutic. Just, you know, getting back to culture and nature um, and then just drawing in general. Um, I've been getting stuck into work and then I've been allocating time to be sad. So like uh, for about an hour each day, there's just a time period there where I turn off my phones and I'm at home and I'm just fucking sad you know, I just hurt. I just let it all come out my body. So I'm not walking down goddamn Crown Street looking like I'm struggling to eat a Twinkie and just bawling my eyes out with my face holes open of water. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So look, that's today's episode. Um, I hope that it has reached you in some way because I made a promise to you that each week I would still bring you an episode and I would make sure that it was something that was honest and real and raw. I promised you that I would always be honest about where I'm at. So there you go, Um, in all of its intensity. Now, the beautiful thing about Anchor, my online site where this is originally posted, is you can record messages on here. You can record messages back to us. So feel free to jump on Anchor FM. If you'd like to do that otherwise you're more than welcome to send videos or photos or chats to us on my social media which is at heather underscore maltman on instagram or on facebook it's heather maltman official and uh yeah otherwise you can find us on the website which is one togetherpodcast.com and as always like i have so many emails to get back to from you um wanting to come on the actual podcast and share your story which is awesome please keep doing that it is one together podcast at gmail.com so feel free to keep sending all of your emails there or even just sharing with us what you're doing because we love hearing from you and yeah keep being a loyal listener because I love having you each week it's really nice to see and also massive shout out and thank you to the guys at body armor I know you've heard about them Uh, without them there would be no podcast. They are amazing boys and they're working really hard to change the drinking culture here in Australia. So thank you once again for joining us this week. Uh, We will resume as normal with the lovely Alex Favola. I'm really excited for you to hear her chat. It's phenomenal, like that woman is a freaking powerhouse. Talk about ovaries of steel, people. I'm your host, Heather Maltman, and thank you again for joining us. This is a massive dedication to my wonderful friend, Alan. I love you and wherever you are, you're amazing.